Good morning, everyone. A blazing hot day, said Michael Fish. Um, no, it will be. We've got it on record. Um, morning. It's great to be together. Can I just add my welcome? If you're new here at Gateway, it's um, great to welcome you, you here. I'm Colin and lead the team here at Gateway. A couple of weeks ago, um, you might remember, I preached on um, death and just the reality of death, that we're all facing death. And I, there was one element that I didn't preach on that I really wanted to, but was just aware of where things were at with Mike and Alex and thought, actually, we'll just save that and um, just bring it up very quickly, um, just around in the context of Samuel's death. Um, and I realized there's a big question that many of us ask, what about untimely deaths of infants, babies, stillborn children? Um, what does the Bible have to say? On that, and how in these moments, where does our hope, what do we hang our faith on in these moments? Just a couple of things I want to say into that. Um, first of all, I think it's important that we remember that God owes no one a long life. And I don't say that crassly, but God does not actually owe us a long life. On Friday evening, I was with a good friend who's dying right now, um, and his liver's packed up, and he's in his 70s, lying in his family home bed, um, peaceful. Not in too much pain, but he's dying. That is a privilege for some, but it's God doesn't owe us that. And we must remember that. And then to say, there are some difficulties when it comes to what do we think about, what, what does the Bible say on this? Because I can't point you to a verse that says the Bible says that all children go to heaven. There isn't a verse in the Bible that says that for us. And so we have to do some um, thinking and looking at the heart of God and the nature and character of God. In fact, we're all born into sin. The Bible makes that very clear. And that none of us stumble into salvation. It is a decision of the will. Of course, babies don't, and young children don't necessarily have that capacity and that will to make that kind of decision. And then just to say that the Bible says nothing of an age of accountability that many people sometimes talk of, oh, children up to the age of seven get a free pass, all of this kind of thing. The Bible doesn't actually talk like that. However, there are some amazing and unique things that the Bible does say about children. And some amazing and unique things about God's heart towards children that I just want to remind us of right now. In the Old Testament, um, there, there's a story about the slaughter of innocent babies. And God refers to these babies, these young children, as my slain ones. They're my slain ones. King David, after his... Um, Adultery then lost his son. And after, when his son died, he, he, he got up and he dressed and he ate. And he said to his um, servants around him, I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. King David's ex expectation was that he would be with his son one day who died. And you come to the New Testament and Jesus, again, has some incredible things to say about babies. He says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven Unless you become like a little child. He said, if you receive a little child in my name, you receive me. In fact, he even says this, each little one has their own angel in heaven. Which is quite remarkable, isn't it, when you think of that. And out of the mouths of infants, you have ordained praise God. Out of the mouths of infants. So although there is not even the capacity to make necessarily decisions of salvation, yet young children, even babies, Jesus is saying, can praise and declare God's goodness. So I can't point you to a verse in the Bible that says, young children, 
go to heaven, do not worry this morning. But we can look at the scope of Scripture. We know that, we know that God is a God who is just and, and, and is faithful and good. And we can look to him this morning. And I want to say this, that I want you to be in no doubt that in my understanding of Scripture, I am in no doubt at all that infants, babies, unborn children go straight into the presence of Jesus. And so I realize that this is true for many of us here. Maybe you've lost siblings when you were young. Maybe you've lost a child. Emma and I, we've got four unborn babies. And that'll be true for many of you. Maybe your grandparents and you're going through what Austin and Heather and Paul and Chris are going through right now. I just want to say to you, be at peace. I'm convinced from Scripture that God welcomes them immediately. And I believe that there will be a day when we get to heaven. And for those who've lost children and infants, there'll be a day when Jesus, you meet him. And then he says to you, I've got somebody I want you to meet. Guys, I really believe that's in the heart of God. That he is a God who welcomes children. And when Jesus says, I want you to welcome these, he's reflecting the heart of the Father. And so you can be at peace this morning. In fact, that's why we can celebrate, because we have hope. We have hope in Christ Jesus that he is faithful and just. So I just hope that serves you this morning, and it fuels our worship, that we worship a God who is so good and so kind. Amen. Nige. Thanks. Right. So I just felt like we wanted to make more of a thing of communion, really. Particularly, I, I feel like it's something that, um, that God has been raising up the agenda with us. It feels like it's, it, it, it keeps being flagged up. People make different comments. Callum brought some really helpful things to us as a site team when we were sharing communion together. And then I think he's uh, shared that a couple of times. If you were here on Good Friday, you know that we made uh, a thing of the communion that day. And it just feels like something, you know, the, the more diverse we get, the more that is going on amongst us, the more different things we're involved in, the more we have to come keep bringing ourselves back to the basics. Amen. And to remember the foundations of who we are about. And I think especially on a day like today, and this, the, the news about uh, Samuel Dixon, it, that affects different ones of us in different ways. Some of you know the family well. Some of you don't know them at all. Um, but that's true every day, isn't it? Amongst us as a body of people like this, there, there'll be those who are going through exciting times and adventurous times and are celebrating. And there's others who are struggling and, and the circumstances are hard, but we're called into a body together. And I think one of the amazing things about communion and getting right back and that celebration of who our roots we are and why we're a people, that actually that is a, it, it is that mixture of life and death, isn't it? It's death. It's Jesus' death, but it's Jesus' death for purpose in our place. And his resurrection that we might share in new life. And so ultimately it is life out of death. Amen? And that when we share communion together, we're celebrating life out of death and life and hope in the midst of circumstances that are hard and in the midst of struggles and in the midst of life on a sin, in a sinful world. Amen? 
And so I think it brings all those things together. So um, what better thing to do today, really, as God's people? And, you know, I, I think sometimes that's the way we, that's the reason why we don't know quite how to be with communion. So sometimes, you know, we feel like we should be a little bit somber because we're, we're, we're celebrating, it's about Jesus's death. And, and so it's all quite serious and we tend to take on a bit. And yet other times, I know we, we talk about celebrating and we're celebrating what Jesus has done and we're celebrating our future hope. And so we have this kind of, we're, we're not quite sure should we be celebrating or should we be serious? And the truth is that it is a mixture and the truth is that life is a mixture, isn't it? And, we, and that is the struggle of this life until we meet Jesus face to face, until uh, we enter into this new heavens and new earth that we're promised. That is, the, that is the challenge and that is the mixture and that is the reality of what we celebrate with communion. So the Bible says, doesn't it, that we have treasure, we have the treasure of God within us, but we have it in jars of clay. And don't we know that? Bodies that break and don't work and... Um, get sick. Paul says we are sorrowful, yet we're always rejoicing. In 1 Thessalonians, the Bible says we grieve, but not without hope. And so there's always this mixture, isn't there? And so as we come and we celebrate Jesus's death and we remember the pain and the suffering and what he went through for us, also we're celebrating this new life that we have we're celebrating his resurrection we're celebrating the hope that we have in an eternity with him amen and so what better way to um, bring our thoughts together today this is at the very heart of who we are as God's people so let me read the account um, from Luke's gospel so this is Luke's gospel have we got this on the screen Starting at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. 
For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And then Paul picks up the theme in his letter to the Corinthians and says this, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. So, I just want to highlight just a couple of things before we share communion together. And the first thing just to say is that this clearly needs to be a planned and prioritized thing. And that's something of what we're trying to do this morning. So isn't it interesting that Jesus uh, was very clear in the preparations that he wanted to make for celebrating in this way with his disciples? It was planned. It was prepared. It was all set out. And then as we look through scripture and we look at the early church, we read in Acts 2 that um, the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And then again in Acts, Acts 20, uh, it talks about the first day of the week when the church came together to break bread. So there's something very deliberate, very central, very regular about the people of God and the early church breaking bread together. So it's planned and it's prioritized. And that's what we want to uh, flag up to us this morning. But also I want to say this, that sharing communion together is a powerful thing. Amen? It's not just a symbol. Communion does something. Communion acts. There's a, there's a great book at the moment doing the rounds that Callum's making us all read in the office called Sacrament. Um, what's it called? Oh, Spirit and Sacrament by Andrew Wilson. It's a really good provocative read. I recommend it to you. And he says this, uh, that when we're, doing, uh, when we're doing baptism and communion and these sacraments, that we do things that do things. They're not just symbols. They actually do something amongst us. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? So there's something powerful going on. It's more than just a symbol. We're, of course, we're already cleaned, aren't we? We're already forgiven by what Jesus has done on the cross. When we've made that commitment to him, when we've laid our lives down before him and said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be Lord, the Bible says then we're cleansed, we're forgiven. But there's something 
powerful still that is going on as we remember and we step in and we celebrate together what Jesus did. Amen. There's something to coming to the communion table of Jesus and bringing ourselves as we are with, with our struggles and our emotions and our circumstances. We bring them and there's something powerful that take, takes place, I believe, as we remember again and we receive again the forgiveness of God as we repent again. Because the, the Christian life, isn't it, is, is going on repenting and believing we go on believing, we go on repenting, and we go on receiving from God hope and the filling of the Spirit and peace and joy and all the blessings that he gives to us. So there's something that we enter into. There's something powerful that goes on as we come and we share communion together. Otherwise, in the bit that we've just read in 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves, for that to be possible, for there's something, uh, there's something incredibly powerful about that, isn't there? If you can come about this in the wrong way and thereby drink judgment on yourself. Uh, now, you'll know the background in the Corinthian church. They weren't, uh, they weren't really recognizing the body of Christ, of God's people. Some of them were having a great time and just eating all the food and were ignoring those who didn't have anything. So uh, there was a fracture, if you like, in the body, in the church at Corinth. And, Jesus, and, and Paul says, you need to be careful because there's something powerful that's going on in communion. So don't do it lightly and examine yourselves as you approach the, the communion table. I love the fact that, um, and that's why I read that extra bit in Luke. I love the fact that at the original meal where Jesus uh, initially shares the bread and the wine and says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I love the fact that the disciples are so weak and frail that immediately the thing that they start talking about is who's the greatest. And can you believe that in that moment, in that significant moment, and Jesus is about to die. And the, and the discussion immediately amongst them is uh, who's Who's greater and who's less? I can't get my head around that, except that it's reassuring that the disciples are weak and frail and human. Amen? And so we bring our frailty and we bring our humanity and we bring the things that we struggle with and we bring our emotions. You know, I think sometimes God's been speaking to me about this recently. I think sometimes we feel like we, there's certain emotions and things that we can't express to God or that we can't express amongst God's people because uh, we're supposed to be uh, behave correctly in some way. But actually, God, God takes us just as we are, doesn't he? Thank God. And I believe that, the, that we come with all our emotions. We come with our pain. As we read the Psalms, that's what we see, isn't it? We come with our heartache. We come with our hurting. We come with our, uh, with our anger. We come with the things that frustrate us. And we bring them to Jesus' feet. And I think that's a powerful thing about sharing communion together, that we bring who we are as we are right now. And we lay it at the foot of the cross in that way. And we say, but Jesus... You've done everything that was needed for me. I give this stuff to you. You give me hope. You give me peace. You cleanse me from my sin. Where would I be except for you? And we receive again the affirmation of the Father. And we receive again the love of God and his grace and his mercy poured out to us. And we receive again the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so there's an exchange that goes on. 
that goes on in us daily, but particularly, I think there's something powerful about doing that as we share communion together. Amen? So it's a powerful thing that we do. It enacts the gospel. It brings the church together with Christ and with one another. And it brings us together with the church throughout history, doesn't it? And throughout different cultures and throughout different expressions of Christianity. There's nothing that unites us or or pulls us into the body of Christ at large like communion does. Because whatever the tradition, right now and through history, communion has been celebrated in some way or another. And so it joins us into that history and that story. And it joins us with brothers and sisters across the world and across Swindon and across different traditions. Amen? We're all part of the wider body of Christ, the church. It also links us together through his, it joins up past, present and future, doesn't it? And Callum reminded us of this when he shared with us the other day. But it looks back, so when Jesus was sharing with his disciples, he looked back to the Passover. He said he celebrated the Passover. It looks back to the Exodus, the rescue of God's people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. It remembers that we're a rescued people, a people of promise, a people who are on a journey to something better. A people who are not to get distracted with the struggles of today because there's a future hope. It reminds us that we are part of that people of God that come through history. But also it points forward to an amazing future. And the picture of the table and the picture of the meal is a future picture for us, isn't it? The Bible says that one day we get to celebrate at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Amen? The wedding feast of Jesus when finally uh, the church the bride of Christ is joined with him and there's an incredible celebration and a feast. And it's another table, it's another meal. But this little meal is a foretaste and a pointing forward to that future hope that we have. And a glorious feast with Jesus when there will be no more crying and sorrow and pain and tears. Amen. So it joins us from right from the past, from God's people rescued originally right through to our future hope. And one final thing that I just want to highlight, and that is what I think is a beautiful thing. And that one of the things that I, want, I think that God really wants to highlight with us, um, and that is that it joins us with one another. Amen? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, just before the bit that we read just now. He says this, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share in one loaf. So there's something that goes on, and that's why... Today we've got, the, we've got one loaf to make that a bit clearer. There's nothing magical about that, okay? It's okay the way we do it on other days. But there's something, uh, there's a great picture in that, that we are one loaf. We, sorry, we are one. That's one loaf. And because we share in one loaf, we are one body. Amen? With all our diversity, with all the things that we're going through. With all of our differences and different perspectives and things that we carry and things that we misunderstand about one another. Actually, we have this incredible thing in common. Jesus has the most important thing in life we have in common. Um, that we are brothers and sisters. We are closer related to one another in that way than we are to our blood family, if you like. Amen. And... The great thing about coming to the communion table and share, you know, meal, meal times and they're a great time of sharing and being together, aren't they? 
We love to do that as family and as community. And there's something represented about a table where we all get to share. And by the way, where we don't get to decide who the other invitees are. They're not invited by us. They're invited by God because of his grace and his mercy. And so we all come on the same footing. Whatever we bring, whatever baggage we come with, whatever we might think about one another, we come on the same footing to this table because we're a family. And family meal tables are a messy place, aren't they? You know, in, in lots of ways, they are in my experience. You know, you get food down your front and, and it's okay because you're with family, but that, we're gathered in that kind of way. We're the people of God. We're family together. Eugene Peterson says that this meal, this communion meal, maintains the social shape of salvation. I love that. It maintains the social shape of salvation. Salvation is not something that we just experience on our own uh, in a, a, a place of, you know, higher experience with God, separated from the world and from the mess that goes on around us. No, it, it's what we do together. It's family it's all the ups and downs of life brought together because Jesus has answers for those. So it's down to earth. It's ordinary, but it's special. It's a place of welcome and trust and hospitality and equality. And I believe that it is an antidote to our culture, a culture that says it's all about you and uh, what you can achieve. It's individualistic. No, this says the most important thing is who we are together and we get to share this that we are one body. Amen? Interesting, isn't it, that when Paul talks about um, us examining our hearts before we share communion together, that the thing that he's insistent on is that they should discern the body of Christ. It's actually their view of the body, their view of one another in the church that was causing the problem when the Corinthian church was sharing communion. It's the very thing that they hadn't got it in their heads, what it was to be the body. And they weren't serving and loving one another as the body of Christ's people. That was Paul's issue with them. That's why he said they had a problem. And that's why they needed to examine their hearts. So that's for us as well, that we need to examine our hearts in terms of how, how are we towards the body of Christ, towards God's people. So we who are many are one body, for we all share in one loaf.